into yet another episode of That Is Effin' Weird, and we're continuing Media Month with our favorite movies. Before we get into that, let's introduce the hosts. I am Alex. This is Ro. And I'm Tristan. And I'm Cody. And like I said, we're going to be talking about our favorite movies. So Tristan is going to start us off. And again, it may not be one of our favorite movies, but it's a movie that we really like or we find that's really interesting, or we just want to bring it on here and let you, the audience members, know about it. I will say, though, kind of like last time, what Ro had said, we are probably going to have some spoilers. So if we'll say the title of the movie, and if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it, just skip ahead a couple of minutes, and then we'll just continue on. So without further ado, Tristan, go ahead and uh, take us take us in, on this journey of your movie. All right. And yeah, this is definitely not my favorite movie, but it was a movie that stuck out that I needed to watch again because the concept was just fucking weird. It's it's called Vivarium. Have any of you guys seen that one? No. no so you it stars... Told- um, yeah, yeah, I'd mentioned told- it to y'all. Yeah. It, uh, it stars Jesse Eisenberg, um, the guy who was like in the social network or whatever. And um, mm. then this woman, uh, Imogen Poots, which is like the coolest name I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> I've never seen her anything else, but that name is amazing. So basically it starts out with, uh, they're a couple that are trying to buy a house in England, like their first house. Uh, she is a teacher and he is a landscaper. And it basically just kind of begins with him picking her up from work, um, to take her to go look at, you know, housing developments, right? Well, at the very beginning, you you find out about this, uh, bird that was knocked out of its nest, um, at the school and you know, a little girl finds it laying out there and she's trying to figure out like, well, why is this little bird dead? Right. And it turns out it's one of those birds, I think they're called cuckoos, um, or they're like parasitic birds where they like, they steal the nests of other birds and then the mom bird is confused and it ends up raising like the baby that's not hers. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the cuckoo. So they go off, they go to this, God, it's a creepy ass little area. Yeah. Wait, hold on. There's nothing else with the bird? You're just going to leave it like that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's for now, basically for now. But oh, okay. Keep the bird in keep the bird in mind. Keep keep the okay. bird in mind. But it's okay. it's presented really small because I missed most of that the first time I watched it. I didn't really think much relevance of it. I mean, remember the movie's called Vivarium, so there's birds, you know, aviary. So yep. it's it's about that. Um, so anyway, they go to the it's a small little building where they just have all these different uh, models of these suburban homes, right? And that's the whole point. They're going there to try to find a home. And the gentleman that's there is like the creepiest of creepy motherfuckers that you've ever <laughs> creeped. Um, so he wears like, <laughs> he has like a white shirt with a nice black tie, his high water pants that are way too tall. And he smiles way too creepily at you. And um, just a little bit overly nice and aggressive. Now the, the polite British kicks in. Um, so Jesse Eisenberg's character, he's American, but his girlfriend is British and British people are notorious for being overly polite. So because of that, they're able to be pressured in to go check out one of these houses. Right. Um, cause like, ah, what's the harm in going at least looking at it? Cause they look all cookie cutter and like little boxes on the hillside kind of thing. So they're not really interested, but they're too polite basically to say no. Um, so they follow this guy to this neighborhood and it's like, 
the creepiest neighborhood you've ever seen. Everything is just like off lime green, all the houses, they all look exactly the same. Like picture the biggest like suburban hell that you can possibly think of from like a bird's eye view where it's like all the little, like all the roads are angled and like, you know, you're going to get lost in it, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so they go there, they, they start looking at the house and it's just as creepy. Like there's a picture in the living room above the fireplace and it's a painting of the living room. And like all the pictures are just like pictures of rooms in the house, things like it's just about as boring as you can possibly get. Right. Um, and the guy starts getting extra creepy. Like he'll do this thing that the guy who's showing him the house, he'll do this thing where like when they say something, he'll repeat it back to him in an almost a sarcastic tone. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, and they're clearly weirded out and they're like, okay, what the hell? But then when they turn around, the guy's gone. That was showing them the house and they're just at the house. So it's like, okay, well, let's get the fuck out of here. So they get back to their car and they try to leave the neighborhood and they literally drive until they're out of gas and they can't find their way out of the neighborhood. They're just completely trapped. Every time they're turning all these weird corners, they always end up back at that same house, right? So they just fall asleep. They say, fuck it. Let's just go to bed. We're doing something wrong. Let's figure this out in the morning. Do they fall asleep in their car or in the home? This time they fall asleep in the home. It goes back and forth through the story where they fall asleep. But in this time they go and fall asleep in the home. Um, okay. And then they're like, okay, well, let's try to walk out of here. Because uh, Tom, which is Jesse Eisenberg's character, he gets to the roof. Because um, remember, he's a landscaper. So he has he has his ladder with him, shovels, a pickaxe, all kinds of like tools and stuff. So he gets onto the top of the roof to see if he can find his way out. And once he gets to the top of the roof, you just see like a never-ending spree of these houses. Like you literally can't see where they stop, right? Another note is if you look at the sky, the clouds are like the most clearly fake clouds you've ever seen like in the world. Right, like if an AI was going to draw a cloud, like that's kind of what they looked like. Because you know, clouds sometimes are like they look like a bunny or a, um, a person or some, you know, some shit like that. No, they just were fluffy clouds, like you'd see from the first Mario Brothers or something. Um, Is there not any neighbors or like? No, there's no one in this entire neighborhood. No one at all. It's just them. There's every house they okay. find is completely empty. There's no one there. They're just trapped in this infinite abyss of houses. So they're like, fuck okay. it, let's just follow the sun, right? We're obviously getting turned around, so let's just jump all these fences, and we're just going to head toward the sun. Um, and they do that, and they do it until nightfall, until they're both exhausted, and they come across a house with its lights on. And they're like, oh, okay, someone real, right? So they go inside the house, and it's the house they started at. So it's their house. <laughs> the same one. Then they go outside into the front and someone had dropped off food. There's a package of food, right? Um, just a big box filled with all kinds of freeze dried food. So Tom, the first thing he does when he sees that, he's like, fuck this. He, he rips off the cardboard. I mean, he's a smoker as well. He smokes cigarettes. That's semi-important to the story. Um, he rips off a piece of cardboard, uses his lighter and burns the fucking house down. He's like, Hey, at least make a signal fire. Someone's got to come here if we burn this whole house down. Right. So they fall asleep outside the house watching it burn. When they wake up, there's another package in front of the house in a box as well. They go, they open the box, and it's a baby. Wait, is the house still there? Hold on. So they (laughs) take the baby out, and there's a note. And the note says, raise him, and you will be released. Then they look up, and the house is perfectly fine. What? What? To me, it's not... It, it, to me, it, all right, just all right, all right oh, time out. All right. To me, it seems like they are in a simulation or they're in like some sort they're they're drugged up right now. 
I, I feel like that's what's going on some way, somehow. I, again, I don't know. The, I, I don't know. But to me, that's what's going on. My thought process is it's like a uh, like a thought experiment or a just like a see how humans react experiment. And it's basically like this big community of multitudes of the exact same houses intentionally. So as they burn that house down, they're literally just bringing them to another spot that looks the exact same. So it's like the same thing over and over again. So you can keep playing on like their mindset that they're in an endless maze, but they're just slightly moving them as they're sleeping. Well, so, the, but, but Tristan just said that like the, the baby was in the box and then they look up and the house is fine. So that's yeah, why but, I think it's like, but they woke up. So while they were sleeping, they could have been moved to a house that looks the exact same as the one that they burned down because if all the houses look the same, somebody could have just turned the lights on on a house that also looks similar. So you, let's say you have like, you have a street that has 10 houses. The street looks the same, but you have the street over and over and over and over and over again with the same 10 houses. So the one house in the middle is the one that they went to. They all look the exact same. They all have the same insides. You're not going to be able to tell between one and 11, which one's different because they all look the same. True. I, I, will, I, I will tell you it's the same house. Oh shit. Wow. It's always the same house. It's the same house. <laughs> it is. It is the same house every time. But okay, so they, so almost like mm-hmm. but almost like what Cody was saying, how do they know it's the same house? Because if every house It's always is, house it's, number 9. There's a big 9 on the front. It's number 9. Yeah, but that could be like 9 on street 1 or 9 on street 2 and 9 on street 3. Like obviously oh, like I know. But it's the same house, trust me. <laughs> it's it's the same right. house. <laughs> I don't want to get too far down that logic train because that falls apart real quick once we kind of get moving into it. It is the same yeah. house every time. Got it. Um, okay. And after this, they don't even really try to leave. That's the end of them trying to really leave the house because they know it's futile. Um, so then it cuts to 98 days later, and the baby is now basically an eight-year-old child. So in 98 days, he grew to the size of about an eight-year-old child. Oh, that's yeah. quick. So they're measuring. Basically, she the 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 woman is measuring him because he wants to know his height, and you just see all the days, and you just see it like, you know, at day eighty nine, he was like half a foot shorter, right, and stuff like that, where he just is growing exponentially. Yeah, and he's the creepiest fucking kid of any creepy kid that ever creeped and was a kid. It's <laughs> scary. He's wearing the same thing that the dude at the um that brought them there was. He has a little suit and tie, and has his little high waters and. And he's just, he always repeats what they say, like no matter how weird, weird it is. And like, he wants his breakfast. So what he'll do is he'll just high pitch scream, like just the most, like enough that you want to rip your head off kind of scream. Like it's painful to even listen to. And it just kind of goes through the routine of them getting up. They have to feed him breakfast. And that's kind of their entire life right now. They're just taking care of this little thing because they don't know what else to do. So Jesse Eisenberg's character ends up, uh, going outside and realizing that the dirt isn't normal in the grass. Remember um, Beetlejuice? Uh, like how like at the cardboard stuff, like when they, they shrink down or whatever and they're on like, that. it's kind of yeah. like that when they're like tearing it up. And Cause remember he's a landscaper. So he knows what dirt is like and he's starting to dig and he's just like, what the fuck is this? It's like clay. There's no soil. Like what's going on? So he becomes obsessed with digging cause that's the only thing he can do at this point. Cause they're trapped. Right. Um, another thing to mention also, the food has no taste. They're constantly given more and more food, but the food does not taste. Completely tasteless. <laughs> oh, I mean, I guess that would be like a good and a bad thing, you know? Like, Yeah, uh, there's a lot of scenes of them basically just like going through their routine, just completely miserable. You know, like just the look on their face. Like they wake up one morning and the kid is just staring at them at the foot of their bed and 
Jesse Eisenberg's character just flips the kid off and then the kid flips him back off. Then the woman flips the kid off. Then the kid holds up the other hand and they're just flipping each other off because he doesn't understand how much they hate him. (laughs) Yeah. I'm feeling like a fry from Futurama situation here. Like when he went back to sleep with his grandmother and it's constant recreation. So he becomes uh, obsessed with digging, like I'd said, and that kind of starts to put a rift in their relationship um, between uh, Tom and Gemma. Gemma's the woman's name. Um, and what ends up happening is Gemma starts to become almost sympathetic to the kid, right? She starts like trying to talk a in at night and like those instincts kind of start to kick in a little bit, even though she still doesn't like him, but it just kind of starts to kick in. And Jesse Eisenberg character is just like not not having that. Um, so one night they end up going out, um, uh, to the car and they realize that the battery is still on, even though it's been like three, four months, but the battery is still on in the car. So they start playing music that they hadn't heard in, you know, months, um, some, some Bob Marley song, and then they start having fun and they start dancing. Right. And it's like just a you know big relief of all the trauma that they've been going through. It's like, Hey, some fun, right. Something to actually do. Cause they have no TVs. They have no books. They have nothing there. Right. Just that fucking kid. So they start. <laughs> Dancing and then the kid comes out and the kid starts this dancing really too, right? That kid. <laughs> I've never wanted to like murder a child more than this kid in my entire life. <laughs> well, I would this, hope not. This kid's this kid's evil, man. He is just my fiance and I talked about it a lot. It's like if we're ever in that situation, the second we hear that screaming, that's where we kill him. It's over, right? <laughs> so they start dancing outside and um the kid ends up pushing Tom and he land, he falls back and slams his head against uh, the concrete of the sidewalk. And Tom freaks the fuck out because he knows the kid did it on purpose and then just grabs the kid and just like slams him into the fucking asphalt. Gemma doesn't like that. Um, and at that point, they basically separate. Um, so Tom spends all of his time in the hole. He sleeps down there. He's obsessed with it. Like he just, that is his entire life now. Cause he realized that unfortunately it looks like his partner chose this little demon child over him. And yeah, he just basically decides to live in that hole. One final thing before the kid grows up again, at one point, um, Jesse Eidenberg's character, he does try to kill the kid cause he, he basically takes the kid and he locks him in the car and he's like, um, let him starve. You know, if, if they really care about him, they'll come get him. If not, I mean, what's the big deal, right? He's obviously not human. It's not a real thing. He's, they're trapped. They trapped us here. This isn't like real, but Gemma wouldn't let that happen. So she unlocked and took him out and looks at um, Tom like he's some fucking monster for trying to do that to a, he's just a little kid, blah, blah, blah. Then it cuts to like a couple weeks later and he's a full grown man and the creepiest full grown man that you've ever seen ever. Oh, he is creepy. He is Is, just. Is it the actual like real estate guy? Nobody looks similar. It's they're definitely not okay. the same person, but he has a very similar creepy vibe. Very pasty skin, very blue eyes, black hair that's kind of like um you know like the the when you think of like super mormon guys, like that kind of look when the the missionaries that are walking mm-hmm. around from door to door, kind of like that from a perspective, but like the creep okay. factor is amped up like a million percent. Um uh, <laughs> Yeah, and so what the the kid ends up going and leaving every day now um, to go meet with people. They won't, he won't tell them who or where he's going or anything like that. He just disappears all day, every day with his little notebook and then will come back. 
right? Um, Gemma eventually tries to follow him a bunch of times to figure out where he's going, but she always loses track of him. It's kind of thing like, well, she'll turn one way and then like the camera shows her like coming down another street because they're in like this weird maze thing. So like reality doesn't really matter. So if she takes a left, she ends up coming back from the right, that that kind of thing, if it makes oh, sense. okay, yeah. So it ends up becoming impossible for her to follow him. Um, now, Jesse Eisenberg's character starts to get sick, like just coughing all the time, and it seems like he's slowly dying. Um, I don't know why. Um, my fiance and I talked about that a lot, whether it was, was it the food that was poisoning him, or was it because he was digging so much, whatever that material was, he was breathing it in, and it was killing him. Um, they don't really specify that, but he's, he's clearly getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And as he starts digging, he hears this noise and it sounds like a squawk, right? So he gets obsessed and he digs even farther and farther until he eventually finds a body, um, a body that's wrapped in like a body bag, right? So at that point, he is so sick that he can't really do much of anything. He, he leaves, he leaves the, the giant hole and he's sitting on like the curb and he just, he can't, he can't do anything. He's clearly about to die, right? Um, then him and Gemma have this nice moment where they do come back together and they talk about where they met and like how much they love each other. And she gives him his one last cigarette because he's been like just parsing them out so very slowly because that's all he had. And then he dies. Um, then the creepy fucker comes back um, and he basically says, uh, it's time to let him go, so it's time for him to be released. And she's like, okay, good. She thought that meant that like they get a go. So he gives her a box, and in the box is a body bag. And they put Tom in the body bag. Obviously, she's devastated as hell. Um, and at this point, the kid had, well, he's a full-grown man now, but he had completely locked her out of the house, and she's sleeping in the car at this point because he won't even let her in the house anymore. So one day, after that goes on for a few days, I believe, he she follows him again trying to get... Um, see where he's going, but she sneaks up behind him with that pickaxe that uh, Tom had and just tries to, like, attack him, right? And she gets his face, and then he does this, like, weird, crazy squawk noise or whatever, and then starts running away, and he does that, like, crab walk thing or, like, that bear walk where, like, he's walking on all fours and running, like, to that super creepy fucking thing. And then yeah. he runs toward the edge of the sidewalk, and he lifts up the sidewalk like it's a blanket and then goes under it. So, like, if you could pick up where the curb is and just, like, lift it up like it was a blanket and then go under the sidewalk. Weird. She's able to follow him. And then this is where this movie, like, we had talked about as above, so below that thing, where, like, the ending kind of gets a little bit like, ah, I just needed a little more here, man. So uh -huh. she falls into there. And the best way I can describe it is she falls through all these different scenes of all these different people raising these kids in that same house over and over and over again and how they all dealt with it. Like the first woman, she's just sitting at the table crying, right? And that's all she does. She just cries and cries and cries because you know she's having to raise this kid and her life is over. Um, the next set of people, they're just having sex and that's all they do. That's because they just, there's nothing left. That's all they do. Then the next person, he's a guy in a bathtub with his wrist cut because he just gave up. And it's kind of just showing the different ways all these people dealt with this situation until eventually... After falling through, it, it's really trippy and weird the way it kind of comes across. I, my, my words aren't doing it justice. It's something you definitely have to see. But eventually she ends up, um, go ahead. I was going to say, is it almost like interstellar when he's like in that weird dimension? Kind of, yeah, kind of. <sighs> yeah, okay. Or if you've ever seen The Cube, it reminds me a lot of that. Um, oh, okay, yep. 
so she ends up finally back in the house and then she is now dying. I don't know why. They don't really specify why anyone dies in this movie. Um, but he puts her in a body bag and he basically is just like saying, well, you're a mother. What you're meant to do is to raise, is to raise the children and then die. That's what you're here for. And then she just says, I'm not your fucking mother. And then he zips it up and he's like, hmm, whatever. And then zips it up and then uh, throws her in the hole and buries the hole. <laughs> then he gets in the car. He leaves the neighborhood. He goes back to that same building where the guy who got them into this to begin with was. And he walks into the building and that guy is now super old and looks like he's dying and like his life is being drained, blah, blah, blah. So he takes him, he puts him in a body bag, he zips it up, and then he rolls him like it was a fucking um, uh, sleeping bag and then puts him in a filing cabinet and then sits down on his chair. A new couple comes in the building and that's where the movie ends. So it's just a repeating process, just over and over and over again. They raise the kid, the kid then takes over and kills them, and then it just, yeah, just starts over and over and over again. And the whole metaphor is for, they're basically like these bird things. Because um, like there's one part where like, so they do have a TV, but the only thing on the TV is like this trippy, like Rorschachy test kind of things that are like just melding everywhere. And like there's a book that he has in like this language they don't understand. They're clearly bird people. And at one point, like um, the kid does this weird squawk and like big bubbles kind of appear under his chin, like a bird kind of puffing out their chest kind of thing. But the whole point is like it's it's based off that cuckoo thing where, you know, they're parasitic animals that use other humans that use humans to raise their kids and they'll inevitably kill them. That's, that's a very weird movie. And now that you say that I have seen, um, I saw like the trailer for that movie and like, it didn't look that good, but like you're, you're doing it justice. Trust me. Cause now I really want to watch it. And Ro, I get it. I say this all the time. I really want to watch all these movies. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I will this weekend. <laughs> I think it's worth it. It's only like an hour and a half. And like, again, it's not my favorite movie and I've, this is only the second time I've seen it. But after that first time, it definitely stuck with me. You know what I mean? It just was one of those ones yeah. in the back of your head. So it was very creative and unique. And there's never been a movie I've ever seen that makes you want to murder a child. And this movie makes you want to do it, especially the second time. Cause you're watching it. And as soon as the baby's there, you're just like, dude, throw the baby away. Just get rid of it. Come on. Don't don't start. Just get rid of the fucking thing. Well, I guess they do a really good job then because, I mean, um, if the whole point of like the, uh, you know, like, what is it? The Cocos or whatever, like put their kids in there to raise them or whatever. It's like, you know, like the, the bird should get rid of that little egg or whatever, whatever. So I guess the movie does a good job doing that. I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good movie, Tristan. <laughs> I recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah. I said it's not the best thing in the world. And at the ending, I just wanted to know more about the bird people. And they really don't give you like any information on them, like at all. <laughs> um, so that part was kind of frustrating. I just wish the, I, I wish the ending was like 10 minutes longer. You know what I mean? I just needed a little more and I would have been completely satisfied with it. I guess in your... A good closure. Yeah. yeah and it could have ended on a downer or a sad one or ambiguous, but I just wanted a little more information, you know? Mm hmm. At least it wasn't a cliffhanger. Roe hates cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a vivarium. So, out of, I guess, 10 being the best movie that you've ever seen, 
and one being like it was not worth your time don't even watch it what would you probably rate this movie seven eight on a good day okay okay then it's worth watching okay it's it's worth at least one watch yeah Yeah. it's absolutely worth at least one watch all right good deal good deal oh all right um well I'll, i'll get into my movie that i i chose um <laughs> no surprise here it's about aliens <laughs> there's i i have a i have a laundry list of movies that i i really do like i have movie posters i'm sure like they, they come into like frame every once in a while um but there is one movie in particular that i've always really liked um, the director, he gets a lot of heat because he's because of his his twists and turns and everything like that. And it's just like, oh, and I'm sure you guys probably know by now, but it's uh, the movie Signs, M. Night Shyamalan or whatever. Shyamalan, ding dong, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. There we go. <laughs> he's, he's a good director. Like his movies are either really awesome or terrible. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys. And yeah. I, th- I feel like he had a, like a trend with his movies being kind of bad. His like first couple yeah. ones, but then like the ones he's made recently have just been really good. Like the visit. Um, that's the only one I can think about right now. Split, There's another right? one. that was one. Split. He hated that one. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That was the. That's what it was. So I feel like he's he's gotten better, um, which is good. I mean, you should learn and everything. Uh, but signs. Um, if you haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry, but it's been out for <laughs> since like early. T- it was uh 2001, and the only reason why I remember that is because I do remember seeing uh, a documentary talking about when they were filming. They just what were they were just wrapping up filming, or like they had to shoot like one more or two more scenes, and then 9/11 happened, and 9/11 was in 2001. So 2001. The movie signs. Uh, okay, so where do I start? I guess from the beginning. Dad wakes up um, uh, in the morning, um, you know, brushing his teeth, getting ready for the day, everything like that. And then he hears one of his kids scream. Um, he goes running into the room. The kids aren't there. Um, again, you hear the scream. And then you see Walking uh, Phoenix. Um, I forgot his name in the actual movie. But he wakes up and then both of them run outside, try to figure out like, oh, where are the kids? Then they hear the kids again scream. And I should note that they live on a farm. They have a cornfield and everything like that. Hence the movie signs because the crop circles. It's in the poster, whatever. They run into the field. They find the kids. Uh, aerial shot. Huge crop circle. Huge crop circle. Um, dad, uh, Mel Gibson, he tries to figure out from the cops like, hey, could this have been some like hooligans, you know, up to no good, whatever. Uh, and nope, that wasn't that. So police officer comes, checks out the, uh, checks out the, the field and everything. And I don't know, just Mel Gibson has like a weird, like, I feel like six cents. I don't Again, that was a Mel, that was an M night (laughs) Shyamalan movie, six cents, but like, he just has like this, I don't know. He just has this, thing about him where I, I, I don't know you you have to watch the movie anyways 
talking with a police officer in the cornfield. And then he's like, yeah, I don't hear my kids or whatever. So they run back to the house. Turns out one of their dogs, they have two of them. Uh, one of the dogs had jumped on one of the kids and uh, the kid had like uh, what you'd use to grill meat with. It's like a two prong thing. Uh, dog falls on the kid. Kid had it in his hands, killed the dog. Long story short. Cop ends up telling uh, Mel Gibson, like, hey, some of the animals in the neighborhood, like in the county have been acting really strange lately. Um, that could have been because the dog started barking at one of the kids and like was getting really aggressive. Um, I hate that part, by the way. I don't get why they got to bring the dog into it, man. Oh, and I just hate that in movies, man. That's, that's yes. And like that's like what was I am legend when they had to kill off the dog. Uh, like so that, fucking hard to watch. Oh, yes. oh man, that gets me every time. Yes, and that's like the when like he just starts losing it too. I mean, like think about like wow, that, we're we're not talking about sense. We're talking about I am legend now. But like he was there on that island for what like two years was it? It was it was a long time. Just him and the dog, mm-hmm. and then his best friend. Just like he has to kill his best friend or whatever because he got bit by one of the zombie dogs or whatever. But back to the movie. Um, family ends up going into uh, into town. Um, and that's when you see like throughout the whole movie. Um, the I will say like the family members, there's the daughter, there's the son, there's Mel Gibson as a father and then the uncle, which is walking Phoenix. You find out as the movie goes on that the uh, the mother had died, and when they're in town, they see the guy who killed the mom, and it's M Night Shyamalan, you know. So because he always puts One himself side in the movie. Super side note: How do you guys feel about directors that cameo in their own films? I, Mixed feelings. I I don't. I don't really have an opinion on that because I think Hitchcock started this trend, if I'm not wrong. I think you're right. Stanley. Yeah. So that I will say, like, okay, the way the way that Stan Lee did it, where he would just kind of like plug himself in there for like a scene, just like a quick little like maybe cameo. 10 second scene. Yep, cameo. That is okay. But M. Night Shemlon makes himself a complete character. Like he's like, I'm gonna act in it now. Uh, yeah. So, but in this one, I think it's so it's almost like a. I I kind of like this one because he's not making himself out to be like the hero. He's making himself true. out to be like the villain. So instead of making somebody else be the quote unquote hated character, he's taking on that burden, which I think is kind of a respectful thing. True. No such thing as bad publicity, man. Like he just did it for himself. <laughs> I, I do somewhat disagree because there are some people that have not been able to in real life live down some of their quote unquote evil roles. Like people just have a judgment towards them because of how bad, like um, the, the, the kid who played Jeffrey in the game of Thrones, like people <laughs> look at him and they just oh, yes. dislike him because of how good of an actor he was as that character. Yeah, that's the ultimate testament to how good of an act you are. If you if like you see them in public and you instantly are angry at them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I will say that's true. that's almost the same way with uh, Breaking Bad, uh, the mom and that Skyler. Oh, you just hate her, but that just shows like again how good of an actress she is. 
because she, you can she can make you hate her. <laughs> so hate her. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so they they end up seeing the the guy in town. Scene ends. They're on their way back home, and the son had uh, um, picked up a uh, baby walkie-talkie thing, and because he was talking with one of the, the the police officer or whatever in one of the scenes, and they're sitting in the car, and it starts picking up like weird frequencies and everything, and um. At first, it's it's really weird because like at first the uncle is like hey, it's just a bunch of nerds making up a bunch of stuff so other people who could like feel belongs whatever and then like it's just noise whatever turn it up and listen and it actually sounds like clicking and like maybe like some sort of communication and the the dad is like all right I'm getting out of the car now and um the uncle then starts to believe then too. It's really quick. He like, at first he's like, nah, it's not true. And then he's like, Oh, maybe I do hear some stuff. So then he's like, nobody move or, or we'll lose the signal. Kid climbs on top of the car and, uh, you know, sticks it up in the air and then you can actually start to hear it more. And then the transmission cuts and then goes to the next scene. It's later on that night and their other dog is barking a lot. So dad, the dad, Mel Gibson, goes outside, and he he shine, he has a flashlight and he's shining it towards like the crops. And he, you know, he, he thought he heard some of that like clicking or chattering again. And he goes into the crops in the middle of the night. It's it's one of those scenes where you're just like, why are you going by yourself? Like it's it's the classic. Don't go. You're an idiot, but he goes. He's yelling at the screen. It's like, don't open the door. Don't open the door. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm the guy in the movie theater everyone tells to be quiet because I'm screaming and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. But uh, he uh, he's he's walking in the crop uh, the crop field and he stumbles on the actual crop circle. And he's pretty mad at this point because he just wants all this stuff to be done and he's like he i don't know I, again he's like has that feeling that someone's there so he's like saying like hey i'm not going to report any of this you're not going to come famous whatever he turns around he's leaving the uh, the crop circle and everything and uh his he gets out to a path in the the, cro- the crops or whatever Corn. and his flashlight oh, what's up I think it's a cornfield. Yeah, a cornfield. Thank you. Am I calling it the wrong thing? <laughs> no, but it's it just it, if if they know what kind of field it is, it's easier to understand why certain things can't be seen and all that. Yes. Thank you. It's a cornfield, not a crop field or whatever I was calling it. <laughs> it's a cornfield. Um, so yes, it is it is pretty high. Like it the uh, it's above his head, whatever. Um his flashlight goes out. Again, classic scene. That's the reason why he shouldn't go in there. His flashlight goes out, um, and then he hears the clicking right behind him, and he drops the flashlight. Flashlight doesn't work. He step like he grabs down, you know, bangs it on, and then he turns it towards like the like uh, down the path, and then you see like a leg. Like it's it, it. It almost looks like 
a, the best way I can describe it is almost like a deer leg, but it's not furry. It's like hairless. And it, I don't know. It, it looks alien like, and then, so he, he gets <laughs> and he runs out, um, gets back to the house and he's like, all right, Hey, we need to turn on the news and see what's actually going on. And turns on the news and there's a bunch of, uh, UFO or like lights in the sky. And like, I think it's Mexico and they're, I guess like the United States and all these other countries are talking and being like, Hey, they're not any aircrafts from like any known uh, nation or whatever. So they're sitting there, they're watching the news like all night. Mel Gibson, he falls asleep, flashback to his, his, um, when, like when he got a call that his wife was in a car accident and that's it. That's all you get. And he wakes up, uh, next morning. Um, the uncle had put the TV inside the closet cause, cause the kids were getting obsessed or whatever from it. So uncle's in the closet watching the news. Kids are upstairs reading an alien book. And, uh, he uh, he goes and takes a shower or something like that. And as he gets out of the shower, phone rings. And it turns out that the guy that they saw in town had called him. And that was it. He was just like, hello, whatever. And that was it. But based on the voice, or I shouldn't mention this too. Mel Gibson used to be a pastor in the, in the later on, not later on, but you find out he used to be a pastor for the town. Okay, so that that's why he knows the the voice or whatever. So he goes over to that guy's house, um, and he's looking in the like looking in the windows and just he sees like in the kitchen everything's turned over and same like with some other rooms, and then he sees the guy is in the car, which is M Night Shyamalan. Uh, he's in his car, and the, the the guy's like, "Hey, I'm really sorry for like what I did to your wife, and I I know this like there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on." whatever um and then m night Shyamalan drops a huge like hint right here for the rest of the movie but he's like with everything going on i'm going down to the lake because i don't think that they like water that becomes a huge piece of this at the end of the movie but he also tells uh the dad like hey don't go don't go into the pantry I locked one of the lo- locked one of them in there. He doesn't say what he just says. One of them. He takes off. Mel Gibson looks back up at the house, goes inside the house, uh, back at home. The uncle is watching TV and they there's on the news. They're like, Hey, we just got some video from Brazil or someplace like that of, uh, it, that what's, what's walking around and causing all this chaos. And uh, it turns out that it's it's an alien, and it, like it goes across like the alleyway and everything. Ro, have you not seen this movie, or have you? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm just making sure. I'm, I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, but alien walks across the alleyway, whatever. And uh, Mel Gibson doesn't know that obviously that it's an alien, so he's in the, inside the the guy's house, and he's talking to the whatever's in the pantry because you can see a shadow going back and forth long story short mel uh mel gibson like gets down 
and peeks inside. And as he does that, like an alien claw comes out. That's one of the best parts of the movie. It's like an alien claw, like, yeah. And Mel Gibson chops its uh, fingers off and uh, screams, <laughs> goes back to the house. And uh, everyone inside the house is wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, too. Um, and Mel Gibson's like, hey, look, I've, uh, I think we should pack up and get out of here. And the kids are like, no, we want to stay here. Um, and the kid had been reading a book or whatever. And he's like, hey, if they're hostile, this is what's going to happen. If they're friendly, this is going to happen. They take a vote and they vote to stay there at the house. They're like, we're just going to board everything up. We'll stay here, whatever. So that's what they end up doing. Um, and as they're... So they're boarding everything up. And then at one point they're like, Hey, we need to make dinner, whatever. So they, they make dinner and it, they, they make it like Mount Eminent Shemlon almost. So the uncle's like, Hey, we just need to make sandwiches. But you get the feeling that Mel Gibson feels like everyone's going to die. Like he, it's pointless. So he's like, what does everyone want for dinner? This is going to be your last meal. It's just have whatever you want. So everyone has like whatever they want or they're in the mood for. Um, drama happens at the table. Like a lot of feelings get like exposed, whatever. The kid says he hates the dad. Um, uncle's like, don't say that, blah, blah, blah. Well, he does the most dad thing in the world where he's like, if you're not going to eat that, then I'm going to eat everything. I'm going to have a bit of this. I'm going to have a bit of this. I'm going to have a bit of this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like he just has like everyone's food and everything. It's it's because like they the kid says like that he wants to say a prayer, and since he lost the dad lost his faith since the his wife died and everything like that he's like no I'm not gonna say anything that's why all these all this happens. Uh, long story short, really emotional. Everyone comes together. They're all hugging, and the kid had left the baby monitor on the table, and you start hearing it like the voices and the communication the clicks again. Um, uh, so they're like, oh, the, the, they're here, they're outside, whatever. And they f- they forgot the dog. <laughs> they forgot the dog outside tied up to the barn. They and are just like, terrible animal owners, like straight up, man. I, exactly. and that's the thing is like, I remember seeing this for the first time. And I'm like, even like, because we had dogs growing up and like my, my parents were like, how could you forget the dog? Like, it, like how like it's a family animal like uh but it's not it's not a family animal it's a member of the family thank you very much <laughs> my, my bad Tristan. but uh yeah so again they they forgot the dog aliens kill the dog you hear it it's pretty pretty sad and then you hear like the aliens like clicking around and walking around the uh the porch area um they break inside the house upstairs, but they had boarded up the the doors and everything like that. But they're like, hey, we need to go down to the basement area. They do that. And as they're going downstairs, the kid looks back at the front door and you see a claw from one of the aliens like reach underneath the door. And you, I, I want to say you can see that it's missing the two fingers or you just see the claw. One of the two. But... Um, they're downstairs, like basement, basement area. So, um, 
they're down there. The dad is like, Hey, we need to wedge something up against the door because like they're in the house. Now they're like, they're coming down the stairs and, um, they, they find a pickaxe or whatever. They wedge it up against the door. And then Mel Gibson's like, they're just making noise. They're just banging on the door. They're not actually trying to like turn the doorknob, whatever. And the dad's like, why would they do that? The kid is like, they're pretty smart. They're going to find a way in. So they're, they're thinking like, oh, there's a, a coal chute because the, the house used to be warmed up by coal. So they're looking for like where this entrance to the basement is. And <laughs> great cinematography. They, they have the flashlights going on like a both sides of the wall coming closer and closer. And both the lights line up at the exact same point. And the kid has had his back towards like the entrance to the coal thing. And a claw comes and like grabs his face and it's like high music and everything like that. I should mention too, that the son has asthma. So the kid has an asthma attack. Um, Mel Gibson is able to get his heart rate down. Like, you know, his breathing normal again. He has another flashback to like his wife and everything. They wake up. It's morning. Got the radio downstairs to work. And the guy on the radio station is like, hey, they're leaving. The, they figured out a way to defeat the aliens, whatever. Uh, they're not sure how, but they were harvesting humans, yada, yada. Um, they were they brought the baby monitor downstairs. They flip it on. They don't hear any noise. And the son needs his, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a shot or like his, his inhaler. He needs inhaler, his inhaler. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they they turn on the the walkie-talkie, not not well the baby monitor. Nope, it's clear, it's all good. They go upstairs, they put the kid on the couch. He goes gets the medicine. Everyone's kind of like doing their own thing. They all come back into the living room and there's an alien in the living room holding the sun. And um Mel Gibson at this moment has a flashback to his wife and she says like all these things um what is it like she's told him to see and then she's like hey tell uh it's a name his name is meryl that's walking phoenix she's like tell him to swing away so he's like oh okay that's what she meant she saw the future blah 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 so he, like he looks at him hey hey swing away buddy then there, there was a bat on the wall he used to play baseball takes it swings at the alien kid drops but before the kid drops uh the alien shoots like this mist inside of his nose and something like that Dad picks him up, goes outside, injects him with like some nausea medication, whatever it is. Uh, and then the alien trips or like once he gets hit with a baseball bat, he falls. And the little girl, like she had something to do with like water. She like thought it tasted funny all the time. So she had all these glasses of water set up all over the house. Alien trips, falls on some water. It burns its skin. Um, so they're like, oh, water will defeat it. Right. A hint from earlier in the movie when M night Shyamalan was like, I don't think they like water. Yeah. So he starts breaking all the water and then the alien trips falls water on his face. And then the aliens dead. They're out in the front yard. Cause the kids has like stopped breathing. And then Mel Gibson's like, Hey, you don't do this again, please. And the kid comes back. All right. So everyone's happy. Good ending. Very last scene of the movie. Uh, Mel Gibson has his, uh, uh, fucking, he's he's a pastor again. So I know it kind of sped. Yeah, yes, I know it kind of sped through that last part, but 
that's essentially the movie in a nutshell. The reason why I get so upset when people don't like this movie or like when people are like the, the whole point of it was so stupid that the aliens would come to a water planet is because of, as us as humans, and I've said this before, like we are going to like Mars and all these other planets that don't have oxygen, that don't have water, that don't have anything. So to say that an alien species wouldn't come to Earth to harvest us just because there's water, uh, yeah. But again, this is one of my favorite movies. I, I really do enjoy it. I like it a lot. I think M. Night Shyamalan did a great job uh, with it. Cinematography, too, was, was really well. So, I mean, yeah. we live here, and there's a plethora of things that kill us. Right? That, too. <laughs> yeah. And, like, there's people that live, like... Yeah, like where there's hurricanes and where there's like all this like natural disasters near volcanoes, like all this stuff. So it's like I that concept of the aliens coming here, like I yeah, no, no, it's it's fine by me. So I love this movie, but I think my favorite part is the part where they have like the the aliens on like the roof, like before they start the invasion or whatever. And like mm. Him and uh, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix are just like, oh, you have to act crazy. We got to go like, um, my is just like, I am a maniac. And he's just like running around the house with like a baseball bat or whatever. And then the cop comes the next day and they're like um, trying to explain what happened. And I, I forget exactly what they say, but it's just like, so you're telling me that you think it was some Romanian gymnast that got onto our roof last night. Yeah, it was a, a female, uh, a female uh, Olympian. Yeah, pole vaulter or something like, like that. Some of was them jump clean over my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I I really like it. It's it's a great movie. Um, there's a lot of parts in it that I think he he did a really good job and everything. And I love again, I love alien movies and everything like that. And I feel like out of everything, out of like a lot of alien invasion or like you know hostile aliens, I feel like this is a plausible one where it's like I it's very possible that they could come to Earth. Maybe not for humans, but for resources. And they would want to exterminate us so they could have those resources. And then, yeah, so that was the movie what, I chose. Do you know an alien movie I think is probably the most plausible? Which is most Which people one? would disagree. Don't say In Mars way, Attacks. Nope. Don't say Transformers. Mars. <laughs> Transformers. Because I don't think, I think that there could be like a sentient like being that has majorly, you know, organic, but also some metallic aspect. I don't necessarily think they're going to be able to transform and all that, but like the concept of like, they don't have to be humanoid. It can be, you know, some type of organic slash um, metallurgy compound being. That is true. That like, yeah. And I see that. I think that's the thing too, is like in our minds, like it's almost like the artificial intelligence thing that we had talked about where it's like, we make like the AIs kind of look like us. But I'm sure like alien life out there might look really weird where it might just be like a purple blob and that like it, it is smarter than us. And it's like, how? How is it smarter than us? They kind of think octopus is also from another planet because there's nothing here that's similar to it. So they could look like octopus. Oh, that's true. And th those things are fucking smart, too, aren't they? Dad. Like they, Dad. they can open up like a, a, a jar and like it's just like it's a squishy thing where it can just like it's almost like a cat where it can like slither and like go in like squeeze <laughs> itself into things. Like, yeah. For me, the science movie all, all, 
always almost reminds me of the spoof scary movie uh I, I couldn't made, stop thinking uh, about that the whole Charlie time while you were Sheen. while you were doing yes. that. I just right? in my head I saw right? Scary Movie Four while you were describing it. <laughs> the, the Denise Richards scene with Charlie Sheen at the tree with the accident. I just that's what I kept seeing every time you said flashback. <laughs> the, the fucking hat thing where like the hat just gets bigger for no reason. That's the stupidest and best joke ever made. <laughs> she can't even get in the police car. <laughs> <laughs> no more sex no more sex oh you died it's okay <laughs> you broke your wiener <laughs> um, all right Ro what movie did you choose so um, I chose an Indian movie um, the language is in Hindi uh, and a bit of Marathi uh, as well. I'm not going to explain all the different languages because then I'll take up the entire episode. <laughs> um, so the the name of the movie is Tumbad. And it's it does not mean anything. It's the name of a place. Uh, there is actually a village named Tumbad in Rio. Um, but nobody was aware of this place until the movie came out. And... Also, just a quick trivia, this uh, movie was shot uh, for almost six years, six or seven years. And that's primarily because the director wanted uh, the actual rains, like it, the, he wanted to shoot during actual monsoons and not use fake uh, rainfall. So that's dedication. Yes, yes, it is. So basically, uh, all the rainy uh, scenes in the movie are real. So let's start with the story. Um, It's basically uh, the the protagonist of this movie is named Vinayak, and he is telling the story to his 14-year-old son. Uh, The background is... There And it's got nothing to do with Indian mythology. I mean, this entire uh, story is fiction. Um, All right, so back to the story. So there is a goddess of prosperity and she gave birth to lots of gods and goddesses to to serve a purpose, right? However, her firstborn is named Hastar and he becomes really greedy and he, 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 you know, wants to grab and steal all the gold and food in the world. But the rest of the gods and goddesses attack Hastar before he can, he, before he could steal the food. Um, so basically he's got all the gold and when he was going to steal the food, all the gods and goddesses attack him and he runs back to his mother, the goddess of prosperity. So uh, what she does is she saves him on the condition that he will never be worshipped, he will be forgotten by everyone and he has to remain in her womb forever. Right? So... Basically, he will be forgotten in history. And uh, so now, Hastar has all the gold in the world. He saved, but cannot have food. He cannot have food and he is always hungry. Okay. Now, it is said that this womb is in the village of Tombal. And that is where Hastar is trapped.
deafening silence. <laughs> I think I think we're just all trying to like absorb what's going on right now. This is not like any kind of movie that I've I think I've ever seen. So <laughs> So um anyway, so the womb is said to be in the village of uh, Tombard where Hastar is trapped and that's where uh, the treasure is hidden, all the gold. But there is uh the the residents of tombar just you know kind of uh, defy this ancient rule or taboo and you know they build a temple dedicated to hastar and that's where they you know kind of uh, are cursed it's said that they are cursed by the gods and hence the village uh faces a non-stop downpour of rains all the time so it's always raining in that village now this story is set in 1920s pre independent india uh so vinayak's mother she is the mistress of the local uh, lord or what what would you call him yeah the local lord uh, who stays in this huge mansion um and he's addressed as sarkar now sarkar is almost 80 or more years okay and vinayak's mother is a widow and she's serving as his mistress for the past 12 years only because she's seen a gold coin in their house on the uh, statue of hastar and she is expecting that gold coin for her services <laughs> alex <laughs> Bro, I am not gonna lie. I am kind of confused as what is going on in this movie. I don't know if I'm the only one else, but keep talking. I'm I'm interested to see where this goes because your movies and like they're all yes. they're always interesting and in the books that you read. So keep talking. <laughs> so. Now back at Vinayak's home, Vinayak has a younger brother. uh and there is an old woman who's chained up in one who's chained and uh, she's in one corner in one room and that old lady is sarkar's grandmother so just remember this i said sarkar is 80 plus years his grandmother is still alive and with vinayak and his family So Vinak's mother is also taking care of this old lady. She's the one who feeds her and she's tied in chains and if she does not go to sleep there is this phrase that they utter which which says I'm going to say it in Hindi and I'm going to explain it to you in English as well. So the phrase is soja varna hastar jayega which means go to sleep otherwise hastar will come for you okay and it is only when this phrase is uttered that the old lady goes back to sleep okay okay one day <laughs> all with me till here <laughs> so one day sarkar dies he has to die obviously he's he's an old dude he dies and the mansion is inherited by vinayak's mother but she's got she does not want to do anything with that mansion all she wants is that gold coin 
and she, so that she can get away from that village and start a new life somewhere else with her sons. So she goes there to collect the gold coin, and over here at Vinayak's home, tragically, Vinayak's younger brother slips and falls on the rocks, and he dies. Ah, he's okay. So, uh, just remember this, okay? <laughs> now, <laughs> now, obviously, Vinayak and his mother they uh, go away from Tumbad and. Vinayak's mother, uh, you know, extracts a promise from him that he will never come back. He will never come back because Vinayak is adamant because he knows. Obviously, the stories passed from generation to generation, so he knows there is a treasure hidden, and the treasure is in the mansion. So he's like, "Why don't we go and stay there? There's a treasure over there. We can find it. We can, you know, like probably seven generation of." Our family could survive with that money, and his mother is like, "I've got nothing to do with it. You just have to come, and you you promise you're never coming back." And they leave the house, and just remember, the old lady is still in the house, and they just leave her like that, and they go. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> now, fourteen years have passed, and Vinayak has grown up. But he's still obsessed with the idea. Like he still can't let go of the idea that there is a treasure there, which in his mind is rightly his, because his mother inherited the mansion. So, you know, to this kind of, uh, de he's desperate to escape his life of poverty. So he goes back to Tumbad, and what he does is he goes back to his old house. And he goes to the old lady's room. Is she still, that old is she, lady is still alive. I was just going to say, is she still alive? <laughs> She's still alive. And there's a fucking tree that has grown through her body. <laughs> Wait, through her body? So is she yes. like part of the tree then too? No, no. <laughs> She's still there on the ground and the tree has grown <sighs> through her. So, the old lady starts laughing when Vinayak comes back, and she's like, "I know that you are from my bloodline because you're equally greedy as me." So she she's like, "I know why you've come back, and I will let you know how to get the treasure, but I will give you a warning. And the second thing is, you have to kill me." So he agrees, and. The old lady gives him a warning that if you, you know, if you touch the treasure or that, you will be cursed. So think about it before you go for the treasure. And in order to kill her, he has to burn her alive because that's the only way she can be killed. Really, that's the only way. So he. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so. He does that. He burns her alive. She gives him the secret, like where's the treasure hidden. He goes there, and it's not shown earlier, like how he retrieves the treasure. But he keeps on doing that, and eventually, uh, so basically, he uh, his family had taken a loan from an opium merchant. So he is able to pay off his debt, and in fact, 
he's paid so much that now the merchant is in debt of Vinayak. So now the opium merchant is kind of wondering where did Vinayak start getting money all of a sudden? He's not like working or anything. So one day, uh, the merchant follows Vinayak, and Vinayak knows that he's being followed. So at that particular time, they show us what Vinayak does. There is this entire process that uh, Vinayak follows. Astar, <clears throat> he has a loincloth wrapped around him, right? And that's where the gold exists. Now, since Hastar is cursed, right, he cannot have food and he's always hungry. What Vinayak does is he gets uh, wheat flour, right? He gets wheat flour and he mixes them with the pebbles and everything. And he makes little doll out of it. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to follow this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he uh so there's there's this uh well where he needs to go inside. So he goes down the well and you can actually see that it's like a womb. It's red and fleshy inside the well. Yeah. <laughs> <Alex>. <laughs> What's gross? <laughs> Once down there, what Vinayak does is um, he uh, he also has this wheat flour, right? Apart from that doll or the figurine that he's made, he makes a circle around him. Now, because Hastar is cursed, he cannot enter the circle of flour because when when he comes, there's like a flame that shoots up and he cannot enter. Okay, so what Vinayak does is he throws that. Uh, or when he removes that figurine of wheat flour and he throws it outside, Hastar comes down and he looks very gross, to be quite honest. <laughs> because he's a god turned into a demon, right? And he's hungry. And he's red and fleshy and all that. So, <laughs> he comes down and as he's, you know, trying to eat it, because there are a lot of pebbles and stones mixed with it, it will take time for him to eat. The procedure is when he's busy eating, you have to hit, hit Hastar with a stick. And gold spills out of his pockets. And you have to collect as much as you can and start running up before he can complete it. Otherwise, he will come behind you. And that's like... <laughs> so that's like a gamble. Like sometimes when I gets two gold coins or sometimes he gets 20, it just depends on... You know, how quickly Vinayak can grab and climb up the well. And then he has to shut it and seal it once again. Otherwise, Hastar will come out of the well following him. So that's the procedure that he does. Now, Raghav has... Uh, Raghav, okay, I've just uh, named the character of the opium merchant. So, uh, the merchant who has followed Vinayak uh, sees that does not see this process of the wheat flour being made into a figurine and all that. And he doesn't know what's going on inside the well. He just sees uh, Vinayak just coming out with the gold coins. 
and he thinks oh it's here that means i can also go and get it and he goes inside and hastar comes out so and he is so so he doesn't yeah. he doesn't <laughs> he's absorbed into the yeah go on uh, no, Alex, so he doesn't uh so he doesn't like hurt the merchant or anything like that he just crawls out oh, oh he okay. does <laughs> no no he crawls out <laughs> He crawls out and uh you know um so he is absorbed into the wall of the womb and his life is like slowly being sucked away So what, how does that, why does that happen to him yeah. and not the other guy Because uh Nike had this uh ring of flower around him Oh that's right that's right and since Hastar has okay. yeah and he didn't have anything okay. he just went inside thinking that oh i i'll get i'll just get the gold coins got ones. it okay so when i when i comes back again sees him and you know kind of pities him and sets him on fire so that he can just die peacefully instead of rotting away jeez okay okay <laughs> <Over there. laughs> So now uh, obviously Vinayak's growing older and um, he he's gotten married and he's got a son his son is 14 years old now and Vinayak's becoming slow slower like you know he's not able to grab as much as gold possible so he starts to train his son in the uh, place he's staying how to you know grab and in how many minutes you can just come up and all that now the son is um a little physically disabled by his feet but he still tries to please his father because his father apparently i mean vinayak does not like him because of that uh reason like for him the son was not born perfect right so his son wants to please him even more so what he suggests is you he tells his father that you go over there with just one figurine and you just have enough time for hastar to finish just one figurine and you can you know grab only so much gold possible so what if we make multiple wheat flour figurines so that he's occupied and we can get more gold because we have enough time to collect more gold coins right So his father thinks oh that's a great idea let's do this so he takes his son along with him um so first there is obviously the one figurine thing that happens which leads to Vinayak's son come up with this idea of having multiple figurines they go down right and there is they they create that uh ring of flour wheat flour around them and they remove they start removing the figurines what happens is when when they remove one figurine the hastar who has come down but the mo- the moment they remove the second figurine hastar splits into two oh <laughs> so now they are scared like they don't know what to do but and in that uh, you know uh, in that tussle or what the rest of the figurines also fall out all oh. right 
and now Hustler has multiplied himself into those many degrees. <laughs> Jokes on them. <laughs> so Hustler obviously, you know, attacks them, but somehow they, you know, uh, the sun f- first comes out, and then comes Vinayak, right? After they come out, uh, Vinayak's son is like seeing where is his father. And he goes towards the well. He sees that his father has been touched by Hastar. And he's gone all mad and his face is disfigured. And he offers, uh, Vinayak offers his son the entire loincloth of Hastar, which means it will be a never-ending supply of gold for him. But that 14-year-old son realizes that this is greed and this is what will happen to me as well. So he lights his father on fire and yells at him, same thing, go to sleep, otherwise Hastar will come and get you. And that's how he ends the cycle of greed that uh, his family started like generations before. So basically, uh, and this movie starts with a very, uh, you know, nice quote from uh, Mahatma Gandhi, which goes, the world has enough for everyone's needs, but not for everyone's greed. Which I think is, very profound because that's true. Humans are greedy. You know, you have enough for your needs, but not for your greed. And uh, what I like about this is, especially in the climax scene where you know the father and son are with the multiple uh, this or whatever whatever scene was um, shot with the in the womb, right? Which, which show which is shown as a womb. It was shot using only a single source of light, which was an oil lamp. So it kind of gives that eerie feeling of being actually inside a womb. <laughs> That's and it, you said it took six years to make the movie. Yes, yes, yeah. And that's the movie. That like. When you were explaining it, Ro, not going to lie. I was, I was like, where is this all connecting? Like, it, I, I didn't, under, but like, I, I start to understand it now and everything like that. It, it seems like almost like what the movie Tristan talked about, where it's like there's an actual, there's like a meaning behind it and everything like that, rather than just like action-y, like bang, bang, bang type type movie it's it sounds really interesting it is it is they were talking about getting this movie to oscars as well but um i don't know they sent something where can we watch it um it is on netflix and what's and what's the name of it again the movie is tumbard i'm going to put it on the podcast chat okay please do i'd like to check that out that sounds really interesting i think what what you were saying too ro is that it was it was shot during the monsoon season, and then also that oil lamp, like that was the only single source of light. That's cool. So yeah, that was my movie. Ro, that that sounds like a really uh, 
really interesting movie. Yes, it is one of my favorites. I would like to talk more about it, but I kind of want to see it now because that there's yeah. a lot going on there. <laughs> it's almost like <laughs> it's almost like the movie that you had uh, you had talked about, Tristan. Like I, I want to watch that one too now. All right, final thoughts on any of these. Because I, sorry, Cody, I don't know if we're going to have time for no problem. for you to. <laughs> now, I will All say, right. I will say um, for people, I'll, I'll just say the titles for them because I think they are both worth, I have two of them. I think they're both worth watching um, and they're both uh, crazy and kind of outlandish in their own ways. And one of them is, is older as well. It's from 1997, but I still feel it holds up. It's called The Game. Um, if you like thrillers and you like things that uh, really keep you on the edge of your seat and wondering what's really going on the entirety of the movie, that is it. That one still holds. I've never found a movie since that kept me like wondering the entire time like that one. So I would suggest that. And another one for like the horror ish thriller is uh, it's a movie called The Conspiracy. It was put out in 2012 and that's like a document. That's like a documentary slash um horror it makes you feel like it's real the whole time and it will really have you it's like they fall onto a secret society and they're, they're like trying to control the world and they're trying to manipulate it's really interesting so just a, two quick shells for two movies i would suggest seeing in different ways we'll definitely we'll definitely have to do another episode kind of like this where we can talk more about some of these and everything tristan were you gonna say something uh no not really i don't i mean um, <laughs> not really, no. okay. okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Well, then with that being said, we went over signs. We went over. I don't remember the name of Tristan's movie. What was it again? Uh, Vivarium. Vivarium. Thank you. And then Ro, I can't even pronounce your <laughs> yours. So I'm not. Can you say it again? Yeah, it's Tumbad. Okay. And then we'll put those in the description too of the as you're listening to this, you can look them up yourself. But if you enjoyed what you listened to, hit us up on all your favorite social media sites such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, where we're at the latest information uh, nice squeeze there <laughs> well we have the latest information on what's going on with the show and what you can look forward to the future episodes and remember we aren't looking for normal we want stuff that they utter varna hastar jayega which means go to sleep otherwise hastar will come for you oh so ja varna hastar aa jayega <laughs> <laughs>